0: We're a community, um, if you haven't figured out yet, that passionately believes in Jesus. We are convinced in the midst of all of the challenges of life that God is both alive and good and that he longs to be with us, releasing his life to us and through us wherever uh, we go. We finished last week asking the question, who or what is in charge of your life? Who or what is in charge of your life? I know that might seem like a fairly heavy question first thing on a Sunday morning, uh, but it's so, so, so important. There was a list of questions that we threw up there talking about do you, what do you desire? Like really, if you could kind of strip away all the layers of pretense and you know sometimes we get so caught up in what's the right thing to say or how do we answer this the correct way like really deep within us what are the things that we desire second question is do you have any awareness of where those desires come from they come from somewhere third question are those desires good for you are those desires good for you? My wife is, uh, she's in the States, flying to Miami today. And um, Dana is very aware that she has a desire for some things that aren't good for her, namely chocolate. And um, I am can tell you all this because she's not here. And whenever people come to our house, which is quite often, and they bring biscuits and chocolates and nice things and all that kind of stuff, you see whenever they leave, literally, as soon as they're kind of out of sight in the driveway, Dana gathers all of the nice lovely things that they've brought and goes outside and sticks it in the bin. And I'm always like, babe, I think we could do something with that. There's bound to be some people that like we could help or bless, or whatever. She's like, you can't bless anyone with chocolate. It's evil. I'm um, like, it's, it's, it's a bit intense. Um, anyway, um, are your are your desires good for you? And I'm not just talking about chocolate. Are your desires good for our city and our community? You see, God longs for us to actually be infected with the things he longs for. And those things are an incredible blessing in our lives, in our family, in our city, and in the world. We've been talking through January about this idea of being transformed into the likeness of of Jesus because we know that transforming people transform cities and that's fundamentally what God is all about I want us to look this morning at a passage from the gospel of John chapter 2 it's on page 736 in your black bibles why don't you turn there it's a familiar passage I'm sure lots of you will know it. John chapter 2 We're gonna read from verses one to 12. That's page 736 in your Black Bibles. Why don't you you go there? John chapter two, verse one says this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples and there they stayed for a few days. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we welcome your voice among us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come? And Father, we want to hear from you and give you permission to speak to us We confess that we need you, and we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple application of this uh, passage is parties are always better with Jesus. That's, um, th- that's the lesson. Uh, there's so much about this that like messes with our slightly more religious mindset here in Northern Ireland, namely the fact that Jesus makes wine for a bunch of drunk people. That's the text. That's not me. Don't blame me. That's what it says. Anyway. And um, whenever I was 20, I went to County Devon in England to spend a few days away with an old aunt of mine at the start of the summer. I'd had a particularly busy six months and uh, I came home one night to my parents and mum looked at me and said, you look exhausted. I said, yeah, I'm pretty tired. And she said, you should go and visit Auntie Joan. And um, I said, sure, I'll let, yeah, why not? So I, I went over to see Auntie Joan and Uncle Ted, and they, they lived in this like, incredibly beautiful little sleepy village in Devon, surrounded by woodlands and all this kind of stuff. And Auntie Joan was a little bit uh, quirky, a bit of a hippie, and mum had told her he's really tired, just let him sleep and whatever. And uh, whenever I arrived, she was like, come on, let's go! And I was like, no, I, I don't really want to go anywhere. I, I'd like to kind of have a rest. And she says, no, I have exactly what you need. And uh, I said... <laughs> What is it? So we went walking into this wood, this is a totally true story, into this wood, and um, she grabbed this tree, like literally grabbed this big tree, and then goes, come here, come here! And uh, I was like, yes? And she's like, grab the tree! And so me and my aunt are like literally like either side of a tree trying to talk to each other. And uh, she's like, this is where you get the most energy. And I was like, oh no, uh, this isn't why I came here. I didn't actually realize, but anyway, um, sweet, sweet lady, but genuinely believed that hugging trees um, was really helpful for your health. Um, so we had, a, we, had a, we had a fantastic time, but on the, th- on the third morning in Devon, 20-year-old me, um, I, I, I woke up and something really strange happened to me. This had never happened to me before. I was working, she should have said, I was working for Youth for Christ in Drumore at the time. Third morning in Devon, feeling a little bit more rested. I I wake up and um, out of nowhere, I, I felt as though someone placed a weight upon my chest. And simultaneously with this weight kind of coming on my chest, I had this overwhelming sense, burden, thought, whatever way you want to describe that, that I needed to be present in some of the pubs and bars in Drumore, where I worked, random. Now, before I started following Jesus, I was uh, less than uh, well-behaved, um, but one of the interesting things was I'd never actually ventured into a bar or a pub in the town that I grew up in, in Dromore, and I, um, this'll make no sense to some of you who haven't experienced this yet, but I knew that God was talking to me. I just, I just knew it was God. I don't know how I knew, but I just knew That this was God speaking to me, and whenever I got back to Drumore, I needed to go and be present in uh, one of these bars. And so I came up, typical me, I came up with a plan, right? So I thought, right, I'll pick a bar, one that's not in the square, so it's not too busy, and I can maybe sneak in without being seen, and uh, I'll go down on a Friday evening, and I'll take a book with me, and I'll sit in the corner and read the book for a couple of hours and see what happens. Now, very deliberately, I made sure for the whole rest of the summer, I was not free on a Friday evening. And, you know, I couldn't do anything about that, you know. Sorry, God. Like, I'll go on a Friday night, but I just happen to be busy on Friday nights. So, you know, that's not really going to work for me. And um, that's kind of how the summer went. Through the summer, I avoided Friday nights, made sure my social calendar was very, very full and had this ongoing conversation with God about, yeah, I know, I know that you want me to go there, but hey, you know, Friday nights, I've got all these other responsibilities and, you know, um, sorry about that. So I got to the second Tuesday night in September. I'd been avoiding this all summer long and I wasn't working on the Tuesday evening and I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll have dinner, go for a walk and try to get to bed early. I was living up, for any of you familiar with Jermore, I was living up... Uh, Barbon Hill at the time, and I uh, had my dinner, and I started to walk down Barbon Hill, and the pub that I'd kind of planned on going to on the Friday evenings, but never got around to it, was at the bottom of Barbon Hill. So I'm just having this walk, and this Tuesday evening, second Tuesday in September, I'm walking down the hill, and out of nowhere, this thing happened again, where this like sense, not audible voice, but just this thought happened in my mind, and I knew it was God, you need to go to that bar now. And I thought, oh no, like I can't even tell them I'm busy. Like I've, you know, I've just, I'm just out for a walk. And as I'm walking down the hill towards where this bar is, um, my anxiety levels are growing and my heart is beating faster and I am like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And eventually I find myself standing, the entrance to the bar is here, and I'm standing with my back to the wall, about to walk in, praying my best prayer. Let's pause uh, that story for a second. Verse 5 of John chapter 2, Mary looks at the disciples and the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. I, I really think there are lots of things that we can talk about as being kind of the crux of Christian spiritual formation, the Christian life, what does it mean to follow Jesus, what does it mean to be a Christian, but friends, honestly, I I think it really all boils down to that one statement. Will we do whatever he tells us? Will we do whatever he says? See, I think we can be guilty sometimes of making this thing about so many other things, making it about uh, church attendance, making it about trying to behave ourselves, making it about trying to read our Bible and all of the really good and really important stuff we've been talking about over the last kind of four weeks. But you see, for the follower of Jesus, invited to take their place in the renewal of all things, apprenticing themselves to Jesus, learning to live in and out the way of the kingdom, it really all boils down to this. Will we do what he says? Will we do what he says? It's so challenging and absolutely impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit But our deepest desire in this community is that we would be a people that do what he says. That we would be a community that do what he says. If you Google the words, world's most successful people, there are three metrics on the list that are used to define success. The first is wealth. If you have money, you're successful. The second is position, that if you rise to the top of whatever your field is, then you're successful. And the third is influence, that if you have wide and broad influence, if people know who you are and pay attention to what you say, then you are successful. You've heard me say this before, but our culture defines success by size, status, and stuff. Size, status, and stuff typically is how we measure the successful life. It's important that I stress that I'm not against any of those things. Matter of fact, I'm praying for all of them for us as a community. I'm praying that we become outrageously wealthy so that we can resource the kingdom here and across the world. I'm praying that we learn to be excellent in whatever field we work in. That if you're a business person in this community that you would be the best business person in our city. That if you're a parent in our community that you would learn to parent with the wisdom of God, sharing that with friends and other parents that you do life. With That our teachers and our doctors would be the best in our city. That our artists and architects and town planners and musicians would be the best in our community. That people would look at us and go, who are these people that are so excellent? And we would say they're God's people. I'm praying for that. I'm praying that your influence would grow in your family and your place of work and in your community. None of those things are inherently bad, but beware we don't define them as successful. If I make it to a deathbed whenever I'm an old man, I can tell you now I don't want the room filled with bank statements telling everyone how much money I've made in my life. I don't wanna be surrounded, be cool if these existed, I don't wanna be surrounded by trophies declaring how great a preacher I became in my life. I definitely do not want spreadsheets with stats on them showing how big Lagan Valley Vineyard became. When I think of that moment, I couldn't care less about any of that stuff. I want that room filled with people that I love and who love me. I want there to be people in that room that know that whatever else happened in my life, I was a man who did what he said. I know this is a little heavy and intense particularly given the moment we're in but actually I think it's really appropriate. How amazing would it be if on our gravestones was written the words here lies your name who loved Jesus and did what he said. Like if we could sum up our lives into a statement that we would be people who loved Jesus and did what he said. Why? Because obedience is success. There it is. What is success for the Christian? It's obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. The goal of the Christian life is to do what he says, to learn, to live under his wisdom and his authority, declaring him as Lord and King of our lives, learning to do what he says. So there I am, standing with my back against this wall, praying my heart out that this won't go terribly wrong as I walk into this bar. And I pray my best prayer and then I walk in and the first thing I notice is that the bar is literally empty apart from a barman. There's a barman and there's me and I say quiet evening, as if I've been there a million times before. <laughs> like, f- for all I knew, it was only ever the barman. But, and I, uh, I walk up to the bar and I order a drink and I sit down, and I'm sitting at the bar trying to make polite conversation with this guy, realizing I don't even have a book. I have a Bible, but that's kind of awkward. <laughs> Do you remember those like me- metal Bibles? Any of you remember the metal Bibles? I had like one of those metal Bibles, and um, and it's in my back pocket but it's like just about fits in my back pocket, but it's metal, so I can't even sit on it, so I have to set it on the bar. And, uh, total confession, on one side, it was just a piece of metal, on the other side it was a cross, so I put the cross down on the bar. I'm like, this guy, you know, we maybe just think I just randomly carry a piece of metal around. Totally weird. Anyway. So I'm sitting at this bar, <laughs> sipping a pint, and suddenly this door swings open at the opposite end of the bar. And this guy's head pokes up and looks at me. And I'm looking at him. How's he going? And he kind of says, can you play pool? Now, I was a youth worker at the time. Some would have argued that's all I did. And I said, sorry, Chris, we don't have a pool table in here. (laughs) Chris does lots more than play pool. Stresses about you guys not signing up for stuff. Um, Sorry, not really. So he says, can you play pool? And uh, I said, yeah, I can, I can play a bit. And he goes, come here. So I'm like, okay. So I left my drink, I'm walking, I walk to this door, there's like three steps down, and there's this dark, smoky room with a pool table in the minute, middle, surrounded by fairly intimidating, is maybe the good word, looking men, covered in polo shirts, and tattoos, none of them I know, but lots of their reputation I do. Good way to put it, right? So I'm standing there with my, they're all looking at me, metal Bible back in the pocket, and I'm like looking at this guy, and uh, he says, can you play Pill Right Enough? And I said, I I can play a bit. And he says, put 50p on the table. Thank you, Jesus, I had 50p in my pocket. So I put the 50p on the table, and um, there's two guys playing. This winner pl- stays on, and I'm up next. So, so one guy loses, and I now have to rack the, the balls and set them up. And uh, literally, like, I am so terrified. My hands are shaking. I can hardly pick the pool balls up. And one of the men comes over and literally shoves me out of the way and says, move, I'll rack them. And he starts racking the pool balls. And I'm starting to sweat and I'm thinking, oh, flip, here we go again, Bible out, cross down. And somebody hands me a cue and said, you break. So I literally break. The guy that I'm playing pots all of the yellow balls and the black ball, I don't get another shot. And I turn around to the guy that's invited me down and he says, i you'll do. I said, what, uh, what, do, you, what do you mean I'll do? He said, we have a pool match. Tonight we're a player short, we need you to play. And I thought, uh, right, so I'm like, everything is not working in my brain, you know? Next thing, particularly gruff gentleman is standing in front of me with a book. Name, Andrew Masters. Phone number, give him my phone number, and I'm like, am I joining a a paramilitary (laughs) club here? I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm thinking, like, should I, like, go and phone uh, my boss at Youth for Christ and confess? Am I going to get sacked? What is happening? This is a totally true story. The next thing, it all happened fairly quickly. The next thing I know is I'm in the back of uh, one of their cars driving to a bar in Bambridge (laughs) to play a game of pool, which goes terribly bad. And we're in the car driving back to Drumore, having just lost 7-1. And the guy in the front seat says, Well, Andy, what do you think about that? And I said, Oh, flip, I was a bit embarrassed. I-, I can play a bit better than that. And he said, uh, Don't worry about it, same time next week. And I, I said, what, what, do you, what do you mean, same time next week? And he said, This was the first night of the pool league. Like, you're in you're our team now. And so every Tuesday night from that second Tuesday in September through to the end of March, uh, I went down with this bunch of guys and my Bible. And we played pool for six months together all all around County Down. Yeah. And the crazy thing that happened in a small community like Jermore was actually they all knew who I was. They all knew that I worked for Youth for Christ. And um, we started to have these kind of unofficial pastoral appointments during the pool. As they would come and share about what was going on in their life, as they would try and figure out how to process this good living person in a pub playing pool with them. In fact, there was one uh, friend of mine just happened to be in one night and I was there and he hadn't heard that I was on the pool team, uh, but he had heard whenever I gave my life to Jesus. And he literally fought his way across the bar at one point as I was about to take a sip of a beer and put my hand back on the bar. and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm having a drink, Ricky, what are you doing? And he said, but you, you got good living. And I, I said, what? And pretended I had no idea what he was talking about. I said, what? He said, you, 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 that thing happened to you. I heard about it. I said, what, I have no idea what you're talking about. What are you talking about? He said, Jesus, something to do with Jesus and you, and now you're here. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's right. I met Jesus and now I'm here. And every single week, in the most profound way possible, I got to demonstrate to these bunch of guys that would probably never in a million years darken the door of a place like this, that God actually cared enough about them to send somebody to their pub to play pool with them every single week. Roy, why don't you come up? Will we do what he says? will we do what he says you see when we live our lives stuck in religious routine behavior management trying to be good and just read and pray this thing becomes a little bit stale and a little bit boring and we wonder why our teenagers when they get to be 18 or 19 and get a choice of what to do wander off But God is wild. He's wild. He speaks to people when they're in Devon hugging trees about going and being present in situations and places that scare the living daylights out of them. Will we do what he says? Will we allow our teenagers and our kids to believe that he could speak to them about risky things and invite them into risky places and say everything in my wisdom as a parent says you shouldn't be around people like that, but if God is telling you, I am going to stand behind you and cheer you on. Will we do what he says? Jesus told us, to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. Will we do what he says? Will we do what he says? Our city and the world isn't desperate for a bunch of good living religious people, but they're desperate for a community that'll do what he says. I'll take his life and his hope and his power and his presence into the darkest corners, the most hopeless homes and say, it can be okay. Because Jesus has sent me here. Will you stand and I pray? Next week I'm I'm gonna take this a step further as we kind of look at the foundation for being able to actually live into this. And there are two things that we need to embrace, and I'll teach them properly next week. But the first is that God is good. That God is good. And we can do what he says because he is good. And the second is that we need to learn how to see fear as an invitation. God is good, and our fears are invitations and we need to learn to move towards them. But this morning as we begin this journey of, are we going to be a people that do what he says? I want to create a moment and invite God to come speak to you. And I have no idea what he's going to say. But I want to implore you to do whatever he says. To not take three months of... Organizing your life to avoid it, like I did. To not try to rationalize, maybe that's not him. What if we just did what he says? Why don't you pray? Holy Spirit, come now. Come now. We wait for you. Come. Come. I encourage you just if you want to to put your hands out, palms up. It's just a really simple physical posture that we want to receive. House party guys, can I speak specifically to you right now and invite you to close your eyes and open your hands? There is an adventure available to you with Jesus that is not safe. It's not absent of risk. It'll cost you reputation, but it's worth more than anything else. God, would you come and speak to them now? Speak to them, release destiny over them. Come. Father, we welcome your voice. Speak to us.
1: For some of you, it might be the first time you're thinking, what does this feel like um, for, for God? And I just feel like God says this morning, it feels like space. It feels like there's room. So when you've got your eyes closed and you're just trying to think, what does this feel like for God to ask me to be obedient or to open my life for him? It probably just feels like a sense of space. Like there's more room around you. I'm so just helping you to connect with the Father. That's what it feels like. It feels like there's space, there's room for you. I just encourage you to just linger there for a moment and just feel what that space feels like. For some of you, you're not feeling anything. That's okay. Maybe you could just ask God to give you some space and some room to sense him for the first time or again and for those of you whether you feel that sense of space or not a great response to Jesus is to just say I'm just going to say yes to you anyway some of you might feel that you want to say that out loud but most of us it just feels like a heart posture that we're just saying yes to Jesus it's that whole thing of obedience That sometimes when we're not sure what it should feel like we just say yes anyway because we know that God is good